transmission encoding completed. Have you often found yourself wondering about the unsolved mysteries and weirdness that surround them all? Now, I'm not saying it's definitely aliens, but it's definitely aliens. You're listening to Three Girls, One Cape. Can you handle the truth? I think that the only way to properly begin this episode is to sing a song. Happy New Year! And it's going to go a little <laughs> something like this. Ingity jing, yeah, yeah. It's Tom and Dick the doggy. The doggy, On a real note, thank you so much for joining us today. I am Rachel Clovis, and I am here with the letter V. Yes, your one and only. Yes, and also. Miss Mara Rose. Hey, y'all. And we are three girls, one cape, and we're here to bring you the mother effing truth. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. It's going to be a bumper ride. Yeah, today definitely going to be an interesting episode, so we're just going to start off with a little bit of a warning that this episode probably isn't suitable for anyone under the age of what, like 16? 27. Uh, 27. And if you have experienced any type of sexual traumas in your life Mm -hmm. and you uh, can be easily triggered for those that may be easily triggered by discussions about it, this one might not be the one for you. Yes, I agree with that. I think we can all agree with that. Mm-hmm. And on that note, today we're going to talk about cults. So each of us picked a different cult and we'll kind of go over why exactly, you know, what we chose is actually a cult. Yes. And we'll kind of get that through the story that we're going to share some information Let's get into what makes a cult. Yes. Yes. Good starting point. The first one is the staple, a charismatic leader, someone who thinks they are and are the one and only receiving godlike person. Mm. So I know in a couple different uh, cults, there's, you know, that staple the father figure or the mother figure the one who is getting the messages from god directly the next one is brainwashing or thought reform usually introducing an indoctrin or education specifically for the group or the religion The next one is exploitation of some kind, whether it's sexual, economic, blackmail, etc. The next one, absolute authoritarianism, 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 without meaningful accountability. The next one, a no tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. So pretty much what that's meaning is that if anyone's like, 
oh, you know, maybe this or yeah. what about if what what makes Jesus want to do what that? would Jesus do? Um, you know, they they pretty right. What mm-hmm. would Jesus do? Probably not be in a yeah, cult probably. or kill people. The next one. There's no financial disclosure uh, disclosure regarding budgets or expenses. And a lot of people who um, are wealthier that join uh, cults end up pretty much donating, you know, everything that they've ever, you know, had in their life so that the cult has complete control of their finances. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I'm giving a cult a lot of money, I definitely want to know where my money's being spent. (laughs) Because if I need to make an exit, then, you know, we're going to need that money. The next one moving on is the unreasonable fear about the outside world, such as impending catastrophe, a conspiracy or unreasonable precautions. So like a doomsday cult or if you go outside, you're going to get this virus and it's going to make you blind and then they're going to want you to see the light so the monsters Mm -hmm. can take over your soul. You know, something along those lines. The next one would be saying that there's no reason to leave or former members uh, are wrong, uh, like having a negative condentation to leaving or, you know, trying to leave for in any reason. So a lot of places will say that they're evil or call them by certain, you know, words because they are trying to leave the cult and start again. The next one. Constant reports of abuse or neglect from former members resulting in records, books, new articles uh, that are continuing about the abuse. And the next one is followers seeking attention from leaders and they don't receive it feeling unworthy or uh, they did something wrong. It's a which is pretty much leading down to like a tactic of manipulation, which Definitely will be discussed in all three of the cults that we will be talking about. The next one about the group leader is always right, no matter what, which goes back to kind of that, mm-hmm. you know, godlike character Those or God like complex, getting them information directly from God, you know, back to the right, the exactly the <laughs> like authoritarianism, authoritarianism, fuck. You're tried at least. Uh, The next one. The group has exclusive means of knowing the truth or receiving validation. No other process of discovery is possible. So it kind of goes back to that. Whoever's in charge or the group is the only people with this knowledge. Everybody else doesn't have the knowledge that, you know, this group has access to. So who is the most influenced? And... I think the answer will surprise you because it's anyone. Mm -hmm. But most definitely it is people who have low self-worth, those who want to feel validated, those who are seeking an identity, those who are followers and not leaders, uh, those who are seeking meaning, those who are highly suggestible, those who are vulnerable, or people who constantly blame others those who are always angry, you know, it's pretty much anyone who has like a 
self-confidence issues or maybe depression or they basically prey upon your weaknesses and those that don't have strong wills to you know be independently but yeah i i 100 agree yeah it's anyone who like you know isn't very self-confident yeah well, I was just going to add, I felt, I felt that there was this great allegory in an episode of Tan of the Hill where Luann initially is trying to find meeting and trying to find camaraderie among, like, her fellow peers. And then she finds this group, which, of course, turns out later to be a cult. And then, so, like, you know, Luann's portrayed, like, as the gullible, kind of slow-witted. So you figure, like, okay, of course, so she's definitely going to go to them. You know, besides, you know, also feeling, like, insecure about herself and whatnot. And then, um, of course, there's the level-headed Peggy Hill. I mean, although, granted, she's done a lot of dumb shit throughout the series. Like, she also falls, falls prey to the cults. Like, you know, kind of like, oh, we're all in this together and la-la-la type deal. And she's, like I said, she's portrayed as level-headed. But they still roped her in up until the finale of the episode. Right. You know, it's it's amazing because, unfortunately, you know, some of, uh, you know, very smart people do, you know, get taken advantage of by groups. I mean, if Tom Cruise is getting brainwashed by a cult, <laughs> like, you know, it's something serious. Don't forget that, um, who else? Oh, John Travolta also. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Hasn't, did he, didn't he just get out of Scientology or yeah. was that someone else? He did and so did, um, Leah Remini. Yes. Yes. And she's gotten a lot of flack as you both know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that docu-series that she's got going on in Netflix, really compelling. Yeah, most definitely. I need to check that out. Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed. Also... This is, we're going to keep this in because it's hot gossip. So there are rumors going around only because we brought up Tom Cruise that like he might be a fish fucker. What? (laughs) He either, he either eats raw fish or he fucks it. That's like a, that's like an actual rumor. Oh my God. Where did, where did this rumor come from? So actually, it's funny because there's like all these like different. There's like actually more than one source that's like you gotta be kidding me. This is not no, I'm not even joking. But all right, so obviously, I don't know if it's how actually true, but that is what the hot gossip is apparently in the world. So now because I brought up Tom Cruise Cruise fucking a bluefish. (laughs) I mean, he could have. I mean. Kanye West still doesn't get the joke between the fish sticks thing, so I mean, who actually knows what goes on in the world, you know what I mean? I completely forgot about that. Oh, goodness. The more you know. Anyways, moving moving right along. Alright, some lasting effects of being in a cult. So, abuse, mental disorders, loss of family, loss of friends, having to start over, emotional problems, destroyed life, and even possibly death. Mm-hmm. The basic types of cults that, like, are the, as far as, like, categories are 
destructive cults, doomsday cults, political cults, polygamous cults, mm-hmm. racist cults, and terrorist cults. You were saying polygamous cults, right? Yeah, po- well, poly, yeah, poly, it's called polygamist. Okay. Right? Polygamist. 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 No, it's polygamist. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's polygamist, Tara, so I don't know. Whatever what you <laughs> say. You say potato. I say potato. <laughs> you say po- <laughs> polygamist. Polygamist. I say polymaginist. <laughs> <laughs> Polly, Polly, get me a Guinness. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Hey, Polly, get, get me a Guinness. Guinness. Oh, I like that actually. <laughs> well, thank you, Rachel, for that marvelous introduction to, yes. to our I show. wanted to you give Rachel. the people a little something, something to hold on to. You know, some hmm. people don't know anything about cults. Yeah, that's true. Because they're probably in one. Some people, I mean, if you're in the like Midwest, I feel like half of everybody you know might be from a cult. That's true, I believe that. Maybe the Midwest is a cult. That's what our friend who is gay out there, he said everyone, <laughs> every gay guy he talks to is from a cult. Was in a cult. But moving forward, Laura. Yep. So I thought since I am the first to start, you know, we would do something light, something, you know, to kind of ease ourselves, you know, into Mm -hmm. this discussion of death cults. So I thought, why not start with the Manson family or more so the man behind the Manson family, Charles Manson. Oh, now the man, Charles Manson. Now. Charles Manson, the man that we know today, was born No Name Maddox on November 12, 1934, in Cincinnati, Ohio. His mother, Kathleen Maddox, was an 18-year-old prostitute, while his birth father, Colonel, as he went by, Walker Henderson Scott Sr., was a mill worker and a known con artist. Colonel led Kathleen to believe that he served in the Army, and when she told him that she was pregnant, Colonel explained that he was called away to serve his country. And months later, Kathleen realized that he was never coming back. <laughs> and he didn't. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I like how you're laughing, Mara, this poor okay. woman. Well, well, terrible. Now, so. Son of a bitch. In August of that year, she married a dry cleaning business laborer named William Eugene Manson. The young Maddox was named Charles some weeks following his birth and later adopted his stepfather's surname. The young Charles was often babysat as his parents regularly went out drinking. His mother also saw jail time during his youth following activities of grand larceny and raiding. Charles was often left in the care of his aunt and uncle until her parole in 1943. Mance's criminal career began at a young age as well. He initially... Uh, committed pity theft and then jumped to setting his school on fire at age nine. Yep. Yep. Up, up until 1967, he spent the majority of his life in institutions from reform schools, juvenile hall, and prison. And by the time he was released 
on March 21st, 1967, he had asked the warden if he could stay indefinitely. Probably should have just have left him, but you know, you never know. And following his release, he moved to Berkeley, California, and then shortly after to San Francisco. And during this time uh, was the hippie movement, as, you know, many of you know. And uh, spe- and hippies, specifically women, were, were fawning to San Francisco for the free love movement. Within a year, Manson had amassed a group of followers. They were generally younger women from their late teens to their early 20s who had relocated to Los Angeles in hopes of new pursuits. There, he hoped to start his music career as well. Manson would use his female followers to recruit members and sometimes hitchhike. Excuse me. His friendship with Beach Boys drummer Dennis Dennis Wilson started when Wilson picked up a few of his girls and introduced him to Manson. As their friendship budded, Manson's cult group and his control over his followers became more stringent. Besides recruiting members, he specifically sat the woman, sorry, he set the woman to gather food and supplies as they were seen as the weaker and lesser of the men group, of the men followers. They sometimes dumpster dived and sang his songs while doing so. They'd also sneak into houses where they would steal people's wallets. And when it came time again for the clan to move, Manson would trade labor and sexual favors and maintenance for the head owner of Spawn Ranch, which is located in the San Fernando Valley, to let him use their to use his ranch to to reside. At the ranch, um, he and his followers would consume. Um, hallucinogenic drugs from LSD to magic mushrooms while listening to Manson lecture about current events and general topics. And this is where Helter Stelter came in. Originally, Helter Stelter was a Beatles song from their White Album. And to Manson, the song signified an upcoming race war between blacks and whites. And when the war would come, he and his followers would hide underground until it ceased. And from there, the Manson family would rule from whatever remained. However, Paul McCartney explained at one point that the slide in the story was a metaphor for the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. However, the slide to Manson signifies an invitation to wage a race war. Manson believed that Armageddon, in an, sorry, an end-of-days event from the Book of Revelations, and he also researched material for Scientology, the Church of Final Judgment, and other cults. Meanwhile, his friendship with Wilson opened doors and connections for him. He had met a producer, record producer, Terry Melcher, who was also the son of Doris Day, and his girlfriend, uh, who was an actress and model at the time, Candace Burden, who resided at 1050 Silo Drive at the time of their acquaintanceship. Unfortunately for Manson, his music career never panned out to his desire. Despite producing a song uh, that the Beatles, uh, sorry, that the Peach Boys later performed, and after inviting Melcher to Spawn Ranch to see him perform and speak, he later denied Manson a record deal, which apparently Manson did not like, and this led to a fallout between the two. At some point. At some point, no, in March 1969, Manson had traveled to Silo Drive searching for Melcher. However, to his surprise, a photographer and friend of Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski answered and notified him that his friend no longer lived there. 
And at some point before Manson left, he and Sharon had made eye contact. At this time, Abigail Folger and, and Frank Halsey had been living with, uh, Tate, were living with Tate while also happening her watch while Polanski would travel in out of town. And during this time in the summer 1969, Manson realized it was time for him and his followers to start Helter Stelter. Manson's plans involved murdering the members of the white Hollywood elite, so black Americans would be framed, and then that would start a race war. The specific reason for the Tate murders has also been linked to Melcher previously rejecting Manson. On the night of August 9th, Sharon Tate and her friends dined at a popular Mexican restaurant known as El Coyote before a journey to her. Polanski was shooting a film in L London. He tasked his friends with looking after Tate while he was away on, up until his arrival, which was due on August 12th. By this time, Sharon had completed the nursery in her home and was looking forward to Polanski's return. However, Manson and his members had other other plans. That night, Manson sent out Charles, a.k.a. Tets Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Lyndon Casbian to their residence. The first victim was Stephen Parent, the, a teenage friend of the caretaker who was visiting him late at night. He was shot dead repeatedly by Tets, and he was pulled out of the out of the car when he had initially arrived. Casbian stayed outside to keep watch and also served as their getaway driver. Watson, Atkins, and Krenwinkel broke in and rallied everyone to the living room. Seabrain, uh, Tate's friend, had attempted to protect Tate. However, he was repeatedly hit and mortally shot by Watson. Folger and Frykowski had managed to escape. However, they were both captured and were, were both maliciously killed. Frykowski was stabbed by Atkins, but Watson had continued where she had left off and finished him off with a couple bullets. Meanwhile, had stabbed repeatedly by Krenwinkel, and Watson also finished her off, and stabbing her in total 28 times. Tate had begged for them to let her live long enough just so that she could give birth to her baby and that they would be free to take her. However, Atkins replied, Look, bitch, I have no mercy for you. You're going to die, and you'd better get used to it. Atkins and Watson stabbed Tate 16 times together, in a later trial, Atkins admitted she planned to remove the fetus from tape, but ran out of time. <clears throat> Manson had previously instructed the women to write something witchy with Tate's blood and, rip and wrote paid on the front door. The next night, Manson, Watson, Krenwinkel, and Le Leslie Van Houten drove for hours before deciding to target supermarket executive Lena LaBianca and his wife, Rosemary. Manson Watson had snuck into the home and apprehended them. Then Manson had left with everyone, except Van Houten, who stabbed the couple to death. Similar to Tate, their blood was also used to write um, an inscription, which was revealed to be death to paints and helter shelter. And when this had happened, police were befuddled as they weren't initially able to link the two crimes and everyone in Hollywood and in the USA was in general shock about these events. Police initially pegged the Tate murders to be a drug deal gone south as various narcotics were found throughout the home and did not link up the two crime scenes until months later in October 
Some of the members were arrested at Spawn Ranch for stealing vehicles and and vandalization. However, they later found themselves in hot water when Atkins boasted to fellow inmates about the Tate-LeBianco murders while she was in detention for the suspected murder of Gary Hinman. Manson and and those involved in the killings went to court in a trial that lasted from July 1970 to January 1971. While the events of the trial proceeded, other Manson followers, with their heads shaved, sat outside with etches on their head in support of Manson, who one day showed up to court with an etch ingrained on his forehead. Linda Casbian was the star witness during the trial and was offered immunity um, for her testimony. Caspian previously left the ranch with her baby daughter and tow shortly after the murder. Caspian revealed that Manson held great control over the group. He kept mother and children separate, organized orgies at his discretion, and was perceived to be Christ-like in that he was seen as a messiah. The defense was repeatedly held in contempt and three of the of Manson's lawyers were sent to jail, or the defense lawyers were sent to jail. Meanwhile, Manson threatened Caspian and other members like Sandra Good and other members like like Sandra Good said, You'll kill us all, despite Manson attempting to cause a mistrial by exposing the jury to the media, the jury verified that they were not influenced and that their verdicts would remain unbiased. And despite attempting to keep members of the cult and witnesses from taking the stand, former Manson member, seventeen year old Barbara Hoyt supported Casbian's testimony with hers, saying that they had offered to take her to Hawaii if she did not testify. She agreed and was given a cheeseburger, a cheeseburger laced with a lethal dose of LSD while in Hawaii. She was abandoned by the members, but a social worker had found her and took her to the hospital where she was saved. By the end of the trials, all members involved, except Casbian, were sentenced to death. However, the state of California repealed capital punishment as they found it unconstitutional, so their sentences were charged were changed to life in prison with the possibility of parole. The only member to be paroled was Stephen, aka Clem Grodin. He was paroled in 1985, eight years following the murders. He assisted police in finding the remains of Shorty, one of Spawn Rancher's helpers. He had helped Watson and Manson and Bruce Davis kill him, while the others were have been had been repeatedly rejected. Members for the victim's families, including Doris Tate, Sharon's mother, and Stephen Parent's father, Wilfred, have appeared at these hearings with their children and relatives and with their descendants taking over as they have no longer been able to or if they have passed. Following the trials, an attempt was made to free Manson and Watson. On August 21st, 1971, they set off a silent alarm at a gun store at 10 p.m. They bounded the shopkeeper and stashed 140 guns. These included shotguns, pistols, and semi-automatic weapons into boxes and trash cans. When the Hawthorne PD arrived, a 10-minute shootout occurred between the police and the Manson family. In the end, there was some damage and minor injuries, but no one was mortally wounded. All the members were, were arrested. Then on 1975, Lynette, a.k.a squeaky from attempted to assassinate u.s president gerald r ford in support of the california red hoods however her gun was jammed and she was apprehended by secret service men 
It is said that the Manson family may have killed as many as 35 people, but insufficient evidence has caused most of these trials to, most of these injustices to not receive justice. And Manson, uh, up until his death in 2017, maintained his innocence. So what makes you think that instead of this being a religious movement, it's actually... I just think that the fact that the members were so willing to follow Manson and that they're willing to do his orders, despite it obviously being morally corrupt, and that he was this charismatic figure that managed to rope all these people in and make and brainwashing them into thinking that there is this uh, race war that was going to occur, you know, and that they they were the ones who needed to start it, I thought was very symptomatic of uh, cult members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's it's always unbelievable whenever any of these cult leaders come up, and especially one like Charles Manson. I mean, there's still people that still to this day. Um, you know, I agree. Compliance with everything he says, and that's crazy. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think that another crazy thing is that with the whole like Manson family shootout, that this was like when he was seeking when he was in jail. So one of the members mm-hmm. of like a white supremacy group was like because that's who he decided to like align with, obviously. Um, in jail took over the group and was pretty much using all of like the girls there as his like personal you know sex slaves and so pretty much they just had this one guy who knew what he was doing and then a whole bunch of other hippies who were just like (laughs) you know (laughs) didn't know what they were doing getting into a shootout with the police is just like you know it's it's like one of those like, <laughs> you know, like fucking you think that, you know, somebody wrote that for TV, but it happened in real life. It's just crazy. It is wicked crazy. Very sad. too. Yeah. Yes. Very sad, obviously, for, you know, all the people who did die as whether it was by his hand. Well, Mara, thank you. No, no, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, going over one of the most notorious cults i can think of you know when you think of Mm -hmm. such things right i feel like that one's just when everybody goes to right away thank you but um yes you did a great job you know there's another one gone by quite a few names and founded in huntington beach california in 1968 Mm. yeah Uh, I'm talking about uh, the Children of God, or also known as Teens for Christ. They have many Or the Family of Love. Not to be confused, though, with the Australian New Age group, the family. They are actively known to this day as the Family International. Children of God. Like... This this one honestly makes me sick. It it makes me completely sick. Um, yeah, you know, Dad was a pretty sexy guy. 
<laughs> Dad was a Scott. What? That that was that's an actual quote from the son of the the leader. He was like, "Yeah, you know, Dad was a sexy guy." I was like, "What? Dad was a sexy guy? What is he talking about? This son of a bitch, David Berg." Yes. Oh God! And I he definitely I, was. I, Dad was not a he, sexy this guy. guy. I hate this <laughs> man. Oh God! I I was my blood pressure was rising. I mean, I'm sure it's going to rise. I was diving into this. Oh, it is. All right, the children of God. Right, they were this, uh, like almost like these a evangelists. Is that what it is? Evangelicals. Oh, evangelicals. Yeah, evangelicals. Okay. Yeah. Well, David Berg. Also, who was originally called Moses David, is the starter. Or he would call himself the end time, the last end time prophet. Or he'd call himself king and everything. And um, he basically started a sex cult. A pedophilic. I mean, when sex you say cult. Ba- yeah, when you basically, say basically, yeah, that's basically what's going on here. <laughs> all right, he basically started this fucking sex cult with all these teenagers. Yeah. They were called the like you know the teens of God or whatever. Yeah. They that's what they called themselves, and they'd go around, and they were all these teenagers, and they're like, "Yeah, we love Jesus Christ," but. The thing is, though, a lot of the beliefs here, too, is that um, they're very sexually driven. Right. Uh, they had this thing called flirty fishing, which was when they had uh, people use sex to bring in more fowlers and everything like that. And they were um, doing it to like yeah to build their show numbers. god's love and mercy like when you were with some of your partners right like some of the fucked up shit that they were soon they'd say uh when you are having sex you should think about jesus christ because that's what jesus would <laughs> want you to, to do yep jesus is a sexy guy yeah they're like, yeah, they're like, Jesus, real. he's got great abs. Mm-hmm. I mean, but for real, though, like, they'd be like, oh, you like Jesus, too? Well, suck my dick for Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you know? Yeah. That's not what And Jesus so, like, you know, for. I mean, it's basically... You got, like, when it started off, it was basically, I got some great pictures that we're going to put up. You got all these horny teenagers that basically, that's how it started off. It was like a group of horny teenagers. And this shit spread like wildfire. This went international levels. It didn't just stay in the U.S., 
I mean, this went all over the world. Wow. All over the world. There were periods and groups. Um, like, so they went through all the different phases of like the names and everything. Like, you know, so during one of like the main era, which I feel like a lot of people remember it by this name, but the children of Grodd, um, that was 1968 to 1977. That's when all of that was that time period. He published like all kinds of written literature and things that they called them Mo letters. That's what he called them. And those were instruction and counsel on myriad spirituals and uh, practical subjects, you know, like of everything that he's done with all these groups. I mean, he continued to push out this material up until he died in 1994 of natural causes, which honestly somebody should have let this man out. Right. Like a, you know, he considered himself a prophet of God, you know, and had all these people together. And uh, by 1972, he had over 130 communities all over the world. There were there's like all these communes and everything. And everybody was living together. Everybody was fucking each other. Fucking their, you know, their, like their friends, their wives. They'd marry up and like put them, each other into these groups. And like, you know, they'd have these leaders. They had all these different rankings with people. I mean, it's just outrageous. Right. And... The thing that just, you know, of course, these people are having kids, they're having babies. This motherfucker said that be, that children were ready to start bearing children at the age of 12. Their bodies were designed to do that. Right. Gotta let the blood... I'm sorry, yep. I gotta take a... I gotta take a breath, like, every single time I... I go over this stuff. This was really tough on to cover because it was just so sickening. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent, especially because like everywhere he was, you know, he obviously believed in this. So you know, his wife and the things family. he did to his own yeah, kids exactly. and everything. Like, um, what were like, I came across uh, this great article that was written by Stephanie Buck, and it was titled, The Hippie Christian Cult Encouraged Sex with Children That Is Still Around Today. And this, like, the what she published here was just unbelievable, you know? Um, she talks about, like, you know, the start of it from 1968, which was, it was originally started as, like, the Teens of Christ. There was a whole bunch of these movements happening all over the place. And, um, you know, it just got crazier and crazier. Um, but he, this David Berg guy, which is one of the most sickening 
sexual predators I have ever read about in my entire life and how he got this whole worldwide spread of encouraging pedophilic behavior and also encouraging these children to partake of it, sometimes even forcing them. It was just unbelievable. Some of the quotes that I was reading here um, Berg like some of these quotes that he said himself in a newsletter that he wrote in 1979 um, I saw the Lord was really doing something that's when I began to come down and teach my dark glass um, teaching my dark glasses, beret, baggy pants, old torn jacket, and tennis shoes. And it's just, you know, coming about, like, bringing in all these, these teens and everything, and encourage them to be as open with their bodies as possible. And then, so you have these groups of people that are influential and they're all kind of like pairing off into these strange marriages. And he was always allowed to sleep with anybody's woman that he wanted. They encouraged all, all this sexual liberation that was happening at that time too. But... um. They didn't encourage men to be, ever be with each other, but they did support lesbianism. And a lot of survivors that have, uh, you know, escaped for the ones that are survived um, and still alive, since many of the members that have been in this cult, a lot of people have killed themselves. A lot. This has one of the highest numbers of um, any ex-members that were either born into it or somehow brought into it influentially and not really feeling it. Um, they end up killing themselves. It's, it's pretty crazy. Dupuis, he... Um, he was on Larry King in 1993, and he was talking about how he was a member of the cult who had escaped, and uh, he was asked, like, you know, uh, what made you realize that it was wrong? Right. And he's like, because I was ordered in the group to have sex with a 10-year-old by the leadership of the group. And from, like, you know, there were just multiple, like, years and years and decades of all kinds of stories coming out, talking about all the wretched things that they would be doing with these uh, children as young as is five, three, four years old. They're climbing into bed with them and molesting them while and telling them that's that's what they do to go to bed. Right. 
you know, just going in and touching their kids. There were like videos of grown ass women giving a blowjob to like a five year old. I have to say, like, this is one of the hardest things for me to really talk about because, like, this is, this is just something I can, oh, I can't, I can't stand, like, I can't stand the thought of sexually touching children and encouraging them and then saying you're doing it to help them always be open and free to explore themselves, that child has no idea what you're doing. Right, exactly. And that's And they sadly... would teach all these followers and all these people they were influencing, they were trying to tell them this was the natural way right. to raise your kids. Fucking disgusting. It's... Uh, oh, it's fucking vile yeah, no it really you know, it really is. i mean look at like the the phoenix kids and everything i mean that's why um but he told his story to um details magazine about everything even though all of them um river joaquin rain summer and their sister, uh, Liberty, mm -hmm. they were in there from 1972 to 1970. Uh, Jeremy Spencer was in the cult. He, um, he left Feetwood Mac in 1971 mm -hmm. to join this organization. Just so, um, just throwing that out there, you know. Yeah, I know. Well, that's what, that's exactly what we mean by, like, anybody can, you know, be, uh, you know, involved in a cult. And especially when you're born into it, I feel like it just makes it, like, that much harder because it's not a choice because it's just all you've ever known. Yeah. I mean, it's just they're mostly popularly known as the children of God but they went started going other another alias as the family of love in 1978 and 81 and then they renamed themselves into the family in the 80s to the mid 90s and then they started calling themselves the family um, like 1995 to 2004. Mm -hmm. And then present day, which, um, I'm actually looking at their Facebook page right now. They are the Family International. Mm -hmm. A Christian community of individuals networking to reach the world with God's love and committed to bettering the quality of life. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Because, you know, of all the uh, 
flirty fishing that was going on in this organization. Right. Um, which encouraged female members to show God's love through sexual relationships with people who potentially could, you know, be a part of everything. Right. Well, a lot of, like, the top ones were, like, uh, would go after, like, you know, politicians or, you know, people with money to, like, help fund. You know what I mean? It was, like, pretty much being, like, oh, well, you just start having sex with somebody and then, um, you know, they start talking about, oh, yeah, like, you, you know, this and that. And, like, you're, like, yeah, I could get into that. And then all of a sudden you're fucking hooked. And I, um... I watched the Children of God documentary that's on Netflix, which is actually based um, from these people that came forward with their stories. And they were from the UK, but they talked about their time from uh, one of the communes that was established in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And their time there. And, oh. It was sickening to listen to this girl who was telling her story about, you know, they'd all be there together and they'd all be singing songs or whatever and families be there, you know, there'd be naked children and everything. And then uh, women would get up and start doing strip teases and they'd start having the children get up and dance with them and encourage them to take off their clothes. They'd be like, come on, enjoy your body. Yeah. I mean, I'm all with enjoying your body in the privacy of your own home and like not touching the children. But yeah, like stop. Stop jerking off your kids, you sick fuckers. I'm sorry. Like, oh my God, it makes me so mad. No, I mean, uh, trust me, I, I completely understand because it's just appalling, like, to think of. And it, it is. It's, it's, it was the craziest thing. I mean, the, I've never, like, I mean, I heard about these people, obviously, mm-hmm. but the, globalness of this is the worst part is because they all share these stories these experiences of growing up like that like children didn't grow up like that right well i mean just it's disgusting it's wrong it's completely immoral and the fact that's crazy is that nobody has ever tried to do anything right about what happened and um i don't know how familiar you guys are hang on can i tell a quick david berg story oh yeah go for it mhm so i think my like one of the things obviously besides like the you know pedophilia um you know going on in this was one of the most striking things was for me was that so obviously because david berg has kind of created this environment for um like uh, pedophilia and like um open sexualness to be you know kind of going on that 
he used to like have sex with his son's wives and like used to use it like against his sons would be like oh you know michael let me sleep with his wife chris you should let me sleep with your wife and then maybe you'll be my favorite and then like would make his kids feel guilty about like not letting that him sleep with their partners or like and it was just like a yeah. that manipulation and it's just so disgusting especially to your own children and like i said like his son fucking referred to him it's like you know dad's a sexy guy and i'm like oh like um his uh so david berg's son Ricky Rodriguez, mm-hmm. like uh, David David Berg died in ninety four. There was all kinds of investigation from both Interpol and the FBI right. taking place at the time of his death. His, he had a wife, Karen uh, Zerbe, who inherited the leadership and is still one of the main cult leaders to this day it's, it's fucking crazy and back and then in 2005 his son ricky rodriguez he he snapped yeah didn't he kill himself and ah, uh, he didn't just kill himself oh yeah he yeah he went and killed somebody else too yep. for that was also in the group he was well known because he grew up entirely in the cult he says he remembers the majority of his childhood was in multiple different uh family spreads and uh and like you know the communes and everything Uh, and he talked about he had witnessed watching intercourse and orgies and remembers being uh fondled by his nannies mm-hmm. you know and encouraged to uh touch ever like all the women's breasts all the time they were encouraged to do such things um and he left in adulthood and he had told um he made a statement to the New York Times that he wanted to uh prosecute his mother for child abuse. Yeah. Because of everything. And he's the, one of the ones that came forward and talked about how his father would abuse his daughters and granddaughters and and basically everybody else's daughters too. It's ridiculous. Right. At age 29, he invited one of his former nannies, um, who is mentioned in his book that he wrote documenting his, you know, his abuse. And he stabbed her to death before he killed himself. Um. And it it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's that it's that cycle of like what exactly like pushes the boundaries from it being a religion to a cult. You know what I mean? Like that's exactly 
what we kind of went over that, you know, all of these signs that just point into, and then unfortunately for, um, his son, you know, he just, he could never escape that. You know what I mean? That was something that from all the abuse and everything that he was put through and all the trauma, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it, it does, it does make people, you know, snap and it does make people do, you know, things they would have never done otherwise. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Some of the statements that they put out though, you know, in response to that whole situation and everything that he was talking about, his tell-all book and everything about what happened. Um, people, because this cult was still a very active, right. you know, it was still very active. It was still a thing. And nobody was doing anything about it. And you know what they said in retaliation to his abuse? He was never taken advantage of. Rather, he was allowed to explore his sexuality freely. He was allowed to explore as a young boy what comes naturally and usually in our society, we do not allow such exploration. Right. Like, unbelievable. I mean, other members that had, like, left um, the group, they... They said, like, leaving people that had grown up in it and left as adults, you know, they, another quote I have here from uh, Peter Frauman, who left in 1987, he said, I had no concept that normal people didn't do this sort of thing. I thought it was perfectly normal for parents to have sex with their children and children to have sex with each other and with adults. It's yeah. fucking sick. It's like it's disgusting. It is. And like I don't know if this does like you know all the controversy around this and the thing that's crazy is that even if it's not actively like happening, this now, it was which happening. I don't fucking believe because I guarantee it it's still fucking happening because I'm on their Facebook page right now and the amount of children that are on here is making me want to ooh God save me like right now because like I it's it's infuriating. It's it's infuriating, it's sickening, it's disgusting, it's gross, and this just needs to stop. It's outrageous. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's just it's one of these things where you know, especially in cults versus I mean obviously even with organized religion anything that's organized you know is a potential to let pedophilia bloom but this is definitely one of those occasions where it goes above and beyond where it's just pedophilia because it all started with one man's like pretty much he's creating a religion so that he can do all the things that he wants to do because it I do think that um, some people didn't know any of this was going on because it wasn't like obviously the things with Jesus and like the having sex with Jesus kind of thing like that was a yeah, little bit the, that more mindset they yeah, had. Yeah, it was a little bit like further into it. But at the beginning, I feel like, you know, maybe 
it wasn't it didn't obviously start off as, as that but the more and more power that he got in especially in his inner circle the more that he could do you know what i mean because people just wanted to be appreciated people needed that connection and that's what he provided to those people yep it's just you know all these singing groups and these pictures which i got some great pictures which we will be posting so you can see exactly what it just looks like a bunch of free love hippies right and it's like what they were doing to these children should infuriate the entire world for knowing of its existence. Right. I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like, obviously, people are so easy to, you know, turn the other cheek when it's not something that's directly in front of them. And even when it is directly in mm -hmm. front of them, you know, especially with everything that's going on in the present world with all these like um you know child like sex trafficking and like pedophile rings and mm -hmm. stuff like that that you know this has been going around you know obviously not like since day one but like i mean it's been going around for a lot longer than people think that you know it has been yeah i agree well that is um that is that one. Well, thank it's you. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah, I think that um, it it's very obvious in this one what the, you know, makes this one a cult versus, you know, it being like an organized religion. But what do you think, you know, are the key factors in that? I feel like the way it started from the get-go, it was just like encouraging teenagers to do whatever they want. Right. Like, it, it's, it seems like it started off as this, this thing amongst teens trying to create their own world all over the place and being influenced by this person. It, the power of sexual abuse is just uh, unbelievable. Right. No, it, it really how is. how easy it was to spread and... Using religious manipulation through, like, uh, through acts of sex right. is just, I think, I'm not even this a super religious person, but I think that what they did was kind of blasphemous. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. Well, it's just like... Like, beyond beyond anything that i can even think of right especially for evangelical evangelicals because they're like mm -hmm. extra like you know this is what the bible says and stuff like that and like exactly. versus like you know there's all types of different verses and stuff like that that talk about this specifically and mm -hmm. you know it's just it's crazy to me that you know people can believe that and you know, but obviously it's just, you know, that's what makes these cults so dangerous. And, and my heart goes out to any of those that survive. Oh, yeah. And even people okay. who are... My heart goes out to anybody that was born into it. I am so sorry that that's what you thought 
was okay. Right. I'm really sorry. Right. And it's the same for but people who that you survived, are heavily, you know, you know abused and um, or especially and like, just in general. Yeah, exactly. Like, cause that's all you Even know. outside of this, it's just like, I am so sorry. Right. <clears throat> yeah. It definitely, you know, sheds, um, makes you think a little bit more about obviously things that you don't want, want to think of, but obviously are very, you know, transparently right in front of you. Well, no, I think the children of God are fucked up individuals. Fuck the family international. And I swear to God, if I ever run into any of them, I'm a, I'm a lay them the fuck out. All right. Like I am not the one. Because like, yeah, yeah, I, I will get them like a piggy. I concur. I've worked in the slaughterhouse before. I ain't ashamed. I'll do it. You'll get it. Mm-hmm. I'll put them up on a hook like nothing. Anyways. So what do you got for me, Rach? So, uh, next on our cult segment, or should I say the final uh, w- religious practice uh, or I, what I'm hoping to prove to you is actually a cult, is the Jehovah Witnesses. So a little ah, about the Jew the... without a knee. What? <laughs> the... I didn't hear what you said. Uh, <laughs> I said, I said Jehovah Witness. You know, Jew without the e. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I get you. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I like that. In the, not just the United States, but in the world, there are like 8.23 million practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. And that's a lot. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I didn't think it was that many. Roughly 60 to 70,000 Jehovah Witnesses that leave in the most recent year. So in the last like five years. That's kind of numbers wise what the average is about 60 to 70,000. And technically, when you leave, it's being called disfellowshipped. But they were started by Charles Tazy Russell in 1870 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, this religion does have its roots in the United States, which is actually, you know, very interesting because I think all of the cults that we actually talked about all started in or maybe yours started in England <laughs> so originally he started preaching uh, like for an Armageddon that was supposed to come in 1874 and this continued you know up until his death in 1914 and he kept preaching for these Armageddon's that he was like, this is this going to come. And the whole point of being a Jehovah's Witness is you going out and preaching the word of Jehovah so that you can save as many people, uh, you know, that you possibly can, um, you know, to go move on uh, during the Armageddon or go to like the chosen land in the Armageddon. And in 1916... Or sorry, 1914, Charles had died. And then in 1916, pushed Armageddon, or like they pushed Armageddon to 1920. And then again to 1938. 
and then again to 1942, and then again to 1961, and then again to 1996, and then again to 1984. And I'm sure it's changed again. Uh, I don't know if they have an exact date on when Armageddon is going to be coming. But that's, you know, what they're pretty much, like I said before, they're practicing to save, you know, as many people as they can. So I have a list of kind of like the rough beliefs of the Jehovah's Witnesses, just so you guys can kind of get a little eye opening into like what it means to be a Jehovah's Witness. The Jehovah's Witnesses see themselves as a word worldwide brotherhood that transcends national boundaries and national ethics loyalties. They believe that since Christ proclaimed his kingdom was no part of the world and refused to act a temporal crown. They too must separate the world and refrain from political involvement. Um, Like many reforming churches, the witnesses base their beliefs or their lives and beliefs on the example of the early Christian church and the words of the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses believe the Bible was inspired by God and is historically accurate. They see the Bible as the main way in which God communicates his will to human beings and they interpret it literally, except for passages that are obviously meant to be symbolic or poetic. Um, Witnesses test any religion, idea, or teaching against the Bible. If an idea or teaching doesn't agree with the Bible, they regard it as wrong. Uh, The Bible itself reveals why it is so accurate in scientific, historical, and other matters, and why it is uh, harmonious and honest. It shows that the supreme being, the God Almighty, the creator who uh, authored the universe, is the Bible's author. He merely used human Bible writers as his penmen, moving them by his powerful active force to put down what he inspired them to write. So this was a brochure that was actually from the Jehovah's Witnesses or published by them. And it says, uh, what is the purpose of life? So this is something that might have been in one of the teachings that you know, they gave uh, to somebody who, you know, was in the church. Like, this isn't something that they would, like, put in a pamphlet and, um, you know, hand out or anything. It, w- it would only be for people in the church. Uh, the witnesses have their own translation of the Bible, the New World Transition of the Holy Scriptures. They refer to the New Testament as... Uh, Christian Greek scriptures, and they call the Old Testament the Hebrew scriptures. They don't regard them as scripture witnesses, uh, greatly respect the various doctrine articles published in the Watchtower, which is the, that, it's pretty much like a magazine, like a time life. Mm -hmm. So they're posting all of these Kind of like uh, the Mo letters, like these all, like their own individual. The Mo letters, like from, <clears throat> like with the uh, children of God. Yeah, that's what. I, yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's their own specific in doctrine that they um, are deciding, like they're picking and choosing what you know 
uh, is going on here. So a little bit more about the beliefs is that God, the father, whose name is Jehovah, is the one only true God. Christ or Jesus Christ is his firstborn son, is inferior to God and was created by God. The Holy Spirit is not a person. It is God's active force. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe about God. And here are a couple more that are just outlined below. So they're saying God is a single being whose personal name is Jehovah. Those also accept the name Yahweh um, and other like translations of that. Uh, Jehovah is alone and above all other beings. He has created everything that exists. Jehovah has a son called Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a God. Jesus is not equal to God. Jesus was God's first creation. Jehovah then created everything else through Jesus Christ. Jehovah's outstanding qualities are love, justice, wisdom, and power. And it goes on and on. So, I mean, pretty much what this just sums up is that they believed that, like, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or Jesus, uh, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all separate entities. God created Jesus. The Holy Spirit is more of, like, a representation of, like, God's will. Okay. What I'm understanding, and if I'm understanding that wrong, feel free to shoot us an email. Talk to us about this. Pretty much, like, what it's saying is that, you know, these are three separate entities, and you only worship God, who is Jehovah or Yahweh, and they have, like, in their own Bible that they've pretty much, like, reconstructed, and, you know, that's what they use as far as... Um, like scriptures, which is the Bible. It's just pretty much picking and choosing and putting what they want into, you know, that part. So what I'm going to go into now is kind of the rougher stuff. A couple cases that these different women and some of them men have gone through as far as different abuse and it's hard in all honesty, unless like, you know, somebody um, it's hard to get, or like, you know, there's a lot of people on YouTube and stuff like that, but um, you know, it's hard. Obviously everybody wants to be um, like YouTube famous. And unfortunately sometimes people, you know, do obviously lie to get attention. So my main sources I stuck with for this were from show that was called The Witnesses. And it was aired in on Oxygen actually earlier this year. It was filmed sometime during 2019, but it was er- um, aired early in like March of 2020, where the reporter Trey Bundy, not to be confused with Ted Bundy, was sent from the Watchtower main building a bunch of documents, one of which was a 1980s Watchtower magazine that spoke about 
how if there were any cases of alleged abuse, they were to be dealt with internally and not to be uh, reported to the police. So this was, you know, kind of obviously this is a big deal because if there's any cases of abuse, obviously they should be reported Mm. to the Mm. authorities. And this is kind of how the Jehovah's Witnesses are creating this playground for pedophiles or not playground but like this environment for pedophiles to you know kind of just stay because you know there's gonna we'll talk about some of the cases but they pretty much just go from church to church and there's no major repercussions the um elders who are like the people who are like in charge of the you know each individual kingdom hall uh, they know, but they don't necessarily, obviously, tell anybody else. Um, and it's pretty, it's pretty... You know what drives me crazy about a lot of this shit? Is how much pedophilia is very clear in all of these fucking cults. Yeah, m- most definitely. Like, it really, oh god, it's raising my blood pressure. I'm sorry. No, no, Go you're on. you're fine. While looking for ex followers, he comes across this woman who name is Debbie McStowell or Dm. I can't read uh, my handwriting, <laughs> but um, so she was sexually abused from the ages of seven to thirteen by Ronald Lawrence or Ronnie who was the overseer of her church or like kind of like the priest um, or like a reverend. And she was, um, you know, very insecure and she didn't end up, I can't remember if it was, she didn't end up telling her parents um, about it until later. Um, But she met ended up meeting uh, there was also this woman named Dolores who was in the same like congregation as Debbie and Dolores are both a part of this church and they both are sexually abused by uh, Ronnie. So Dolores has already at this point made um, some type of statement about it and um, unfortunately, there's this rule in like a uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses and they require at least two people that like are practicing pretty much practicing uh, like a rule of two, which is they like uh, require at least two like pra- pretty much practicing Jehovah's Witnesses to um, like be witness or like have some type of credit in order for them to take it seriously and it's not doctors it's not you know police it's not it has to be somebody in the jehovah's witnesses so um when dolores was abused it was between the ages of five and ten and her story is so like terrible um she would go door to door with him and in the car like he would like whip out his dick and like all all kinds of other like terrible fucking things um and she did eventually tell 
her parents and um that's who brought it obviously to the elders and um but they wouldn't technically believe her and then also another really fucked up thing was when she brought this to the elders because she didn't do talk about it till like later in life when i think she was like a teenager maybe a little bit older than that um they allow your uh, the person who is like the accused to face the accuser so like you she got had to sit across the fucking table from the guy that like fucking molested her and like sexually abused her while he just pretty much was like that never happened you know da 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 and then yeah it, it was really terrible so she eventually finds out that this other girl Debbie had uh been you know sexually assaulted as well and I feel so bad for the the woman Debbie because um her uh brother and mother so like her whole family is our Jehovah's Witnesses Mm -hmm. and um her father was actually one of the elders so this is they really got lucky because her father oversaw actually the uh case with Dolores it was one of the elders when that was happening and so when this got brought up you know he wrote right to the board and they got you know that taken care Mm -hmm. of and so they have this inquiry because now they have these two girls that are both saying the same things. And, you know, the one girl's father is corroborating her story because he's like, oh, because he was obviously Ronnie's like kind of backed up against the wall now trying to defend himself. And they'd be like, yeah, you sexually assaulted me in the pool. And he's like, I didn't even have a pool. And then her dad was like, yeah, Ronnie, you did have a pool. I remember dropping her off. The one girl, her parents used to let her sleep over the fucking night at this guy's house. And he used to make her take these tubs and like, you know, obviously I'm not going to get super into it because it's really. What the fuck? Yeah, it's really fucked up. Um, And so anyways, uh, so they end up getting him. I'm going to gut them like Peggy's. I swear to God, I'm going to gut them like Peggy's. They end up getting him disfellowshipped, so he, like, gets, like, kind of shunned from the church for a year, Mm -hmm. and then they decide that he's paid his dues, and, yep, yeah, yeah, he's paid his dues, so he, I'm sorry, he's allowed to come back as the head of the church after only being disfellowshipped for a year. (laughs) (laughs) wow wow yeah um and so all of this so eventually debbie ends up going to the police and she's like you know all this stuff happened to me oh actually let me back up a little bit so before debbie goes to the police like i said before that her whole family are jehovah's witnesses her husband was a jehovah's witness she has a son Mm -hmm. that is also a jehovah's witness so once she goes to the police she gets automatically cut off so she goes to the police because she's like 
horrified that after all of these years and her finally speaking out against this abuse that, you know, she, like, pretty much nothing ends up happening. Like, he's practicing again. And so she ends up going to the police and she's like, you know, I was abused and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, well, do you have, like, any evidence? Did I lose you? Okay. Um, all right. I'll. All right. So her whole family are Je- going, like, going back. Her whole family are Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, she knows that her speaking to the police is going to, um, you know, pretty much get her like in trouble with them but she doesn't care because she needs some type of justice for not only what she went through but what what for what this other woman had gone through so she ends up going to the police and they are like you know yeah we we believe you um and he was like but we need you know some kind of solid evidence and she was like there's documents like during the whole process, there were notes that were being taken and, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're in this file cabinet. So they go and, um, like, the police get a warrant and they go and they raid this place and they, you know, get to the main hall. They go into the room with the file cabinets they start opening the file cabinets and there's nothing in the file cabinets and so they call her and they tell her and she's just like i I don't know um and then a couple days go by and they get an anonymous tip and they're like go search or serve the warrant again And so they go and serve the warrant, and lo and behold, there's all these documents of all these different, like, abuse, fucking everything. Just, like, years and years of notes that, like, this congregation has been keeping. So the police confiscate them, and unfortunately, uh, most of them, because of... The statues of limitations, they aren't able to, you know, act on them. Um, there was this other girl. Go, go. Uh, who I didn't was, stop recording. Her name I was just Chessa Williams. She was also um, abused. And unlike the other people who uh, were abused, her father immediately went to the, the police Mar, are you pressing anything? No, I'm not pressing anything. How can I be pressing anything? It's in my ear. Yeah. Okay. So, Chessa Williams, um, who was also abused, and unlike the other girls, her father went directly to the uh, police. And um, they, you know, ended up, not like they were trying to tell her father uh like you know not to press charges and you know they need to reform and all this other stuff um and they ended up um like i can't remember 
if it was they ended up did they did end up drop dropping the charges or what exactly happened um but she kind of has made it her mission to go and obviously speak out against these cases of abuse and um in i think it was 2019 in new york they passed this uh children's victims act that allows children uh, uh like or people who are yet yeah, children who have been sexually abused or just any type of abuse because it takes obviously so long for people to okay. you know even just come up with you know the courage to be able to talk a lot, uh, talk about it and um so she kind of like staged this um protest um on like this specific day it's the memorial of jesus death um and it's like pretty much like their equivalent of like christmas um and so she was in new york city which is like one of the world's largest uh populations for jehovah's witnesses because i think that's where one of the original kingdom halls started in uh new york city and so she's like handing out flyers and all this other stuff and like they have like all these people pretty much trying to get her to leave and they ended up calling the cops on her and uh the cops were like yeah we can't do anything like she's not doing anything illegal or anything like that so she ended up obviously being able to continue um and it talks about heather Steele and mike emery um who were these two people that were also abused um not specifically by the jehovah's witnesses but they Mm. were like very um i think one of them the the male was the john michael emery was but um they pretty much said that they are protecting like predators and they're not like you know they're like i said they're creating this environment for pedophiles and um this other man named david he was locked in a cabinet and forgotten about for days and he suffered physical and sexual abuse starting at the age of four and um let's see oh that was the the Chessa Williams, um, her, because they, yeah, they ended up not, I remember now, they ended up not pressing charges, and her father wrote, had, like, a, he was really high up in, like, the command, so he wrote a letter to, like, the guy who was, like, the head of, um, the Jehovah's Witnesses at the time, or the Watchtower, and then he just said, leave matter leave these matters in jehovah's hands he like wrote a letter back and that's like the end of it and like you know what i mean it's just like so crazy um and then last we're gonna talk about um sarah brooks and this one was the hardest for me i cried like four times while listening to her story so i won't get super into it but 
she was uh, suffered sexual abuse from yeah Josh Codwell and her sister-in-law, Perfect. so her brother's sister, uh, or her brother's <laughs> wife. Um, so she was 15 years old, and um, when this all started happening, and like she said, it started off very small. Like he would be like, "Oh, you girls should kiss" and stuff like that, and then it got mm-hmm. you know obviously more and more rampant. Um, so right. Um, so she was baptized. Uh, like so she continued to go through this until she was about 17 years old and um then eventually um she tried to kill herself at the age of 21 because she was still suffering from um this abuse uh sexual abuse from joshua cadwell and the brother the brother's sister uh brother's wife and um they had an emergency elders meeting which this man, um, Matt Moffin, or, or, yeah, Matt Moffin, was uh, elder at, and he was actually interviewed for the documentary, and it was really interesting because they talked about all these notes. So all of these different people all go back to the notes that are being kept, like the details that they're, you know, keeping about all these cases of abuse. And, um, they eventually went to the police, um, Sarah's parents did. And when they came to serve the papers to search the things like a couple hours before they were told to buy a paper shredder and to shred all the notes, um, about the case that they had. And, You know, it's just, I don't know, it's really fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. There's also these person uh, named uh, Jezebel and Judas, or G, sorry, Jesus, um, and they came forward in Massachusetts after stealing documents from several Kingdom Hall, prove, uh, providing multiple accounts of sexual abuse in each of these locations. So I just wanted to include that because obviously that hits home. That's right oh, in Massachusetts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, it's everywhere that this is happening. Um, well, I remember, not to get off the point, Sussa's testimony. Right. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really, um, important is in some states, clergy are exempted from mandatory child abuse reportings when they learn about abuse through a confidential spiritual communications. The Watchtower says it complies with all child abuse reporting laws. So... I mean, yeah, they're applying with the laws, but some laws specifically say that you don't have to talk about mm. child abuse. Yeah. Um, I want to just quickly talk about the what happened with the Watchtower in the well, the Jehovah's Witnesses in Australia. So I I got to throw it out to Australia. Australia has some pretty big balls. They served Jehovah's Witnesses, um, the Watchtower there, 
with papers and they confiscated everything, all of these documents mm-hmm. and pretty much shut the Jehovah's Witnesses down in wow. Australia. That's so great. kudos to them. Yes. Um, but what they did find was all of these documents and there was over 1,200 people who had been reported for sexual abuse of a minor just in the Australia, um, which their population of Jehovah's Witnesses is somewhere around 60 to 70,000. Jesus. So, I mean, if you think about the 8.23 million practicing Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses, how many of those people have been actually, you know, investigated for some form of pedophilia or sexual abuse with a minor? It's absolutely disgusting. (sighs) Yeah, it's just very obviously disturbing. Um, another thing that I thought was very interested it, interesting is that the watchtower that's in New York, uh, they were doing an interview about something and they were talking about in a different interview how they would pretty much scan in notes. So they have like an actual physical like computer mm-hmm. database. Well, not like physical, but you know what I mean. So like they're even though they might not have documents they're scanning in all these notes and these things that they've collected throughout the years and they have them in a database like and we still have not you know now that that act has been passed you know all of these people but they've already they had something crazy like over uh 2000 people have already filed uh, you know, report or like uh, claims during that the new act that they passed in New York. So there, there's finally some outlet that is, I don't even think outlet's the correct word, but there's, there's something for people who all have been victims of abuse to finally be able to speak with beyond the statues of limitations. So I think that in the very near future, hopefully, um, you know, I'm sure that they're going to put up a fight, but we'll get to hopefully see the Jehovah's Witnesses. Get what they deserve. Get brought down a couple of pegs because um, they're not going to be able proper to, ass whooping. you know, hold off the courts for long. And uh, that's kind of, that's where I'm leaving off because that's, yeah. that's all I got. I don't want to get, obviously, I tried to be a little bit lighter about, you know, the abuse. But, I mean, it's just tragic, especially that girl, Sarah Brooks. She paints these pictures. All right. So, as you were saying, you were saying, I think we're going to finally see these Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, we're finally going to see some type of... um like downfall Good. of the Jehovah's Witnesses, mm-hmm. especially because of everything that's um, happening with that law that or the act that was passed in New York. Uh, one of the, like I said, one of the main watchtower locations mm-hmm. is in New York. So um, that would 
you know, they could subpoena them to get those files. And now that, you know, they can go back, you know, pretty much any time. I'm not sure what exactly the, uh, the act as far as like how many years or if there is a limit on years, but like I said, there's been over, you know, 2000 people who have passed, uh, like lawsuits, not just for the Jehovah's Witnesses, but with this act, you know, to be able to find some type of justice for the abuse that they suffered. No, I agree. These fucking sneaky fuckers. Like, all of them. Everybody's, like, ugh. It's, ugh. It's so infuriating. Yeah, no, I, I, a hundred, it's just, it's disturbing, and It's extremely disturbing. Um, you know, the reason I would characterize the Jehovah's Witness under the cult is I think they kind of hit all of them. They had, um, you know, the, the charismatic leader who thought that he was the one that was getting the information straight from God about when the, you know, uh, Armageddon was coming. They have this thought reform. They have a specific type of literature or doctrine. They, um, are exploiting people sexually, obviously. Um, there's, no tolerations for questions or critical thinking, uh, which was something I don't think I really mentioned, but, or maybe briefly that, you know, when you do get disfellowshipped, nobody can talk to you. Like you're, even though your mother, you know, might still love you. If she, if they found out that she was talking to you, you know, you would get kicked out. And that was actually the reason why uh, Michael Jackson ended up leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses was because they told him to stop talking to his sister. And he was like, well, I can't do that. But it's it's really hard. And that's why so many people, you know, end up committing suicide is because they're con- completely blocked off. And, you know, that especially when you're raised in that and that's all you've ever known and then to get disfellowshipped because you spoke up about abuse that you suffered it's just you know i can't i can't even begin to comprehend what those people go through because it's obviously Mm -hmm. just you know terrible um which goes kind of to the no reason to leave or former members are wrong for leaving and uh you know the group leaders are always like you know, that stuff. So I think that this definitely, you know, falls under the category of cult. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree as well. Yeah. But. What were you saying, girl? I'm just, I'm speechless at this point, you know, with a, like. Yeah. I mean, obviously this was a very difficult um, episode for us to do because it is so mm-hmm. um, you know terrible especially because it's children which obviously not to say that you know it's not not so not something else is not as bad or is worse or you know what I mean but it's just um, it's this is definitely one of those things that gets I mean at least for me hits me some way versus how I can, you know, hear about how men get dismembered and chopped up into pieces and be absolutely fine. It's like this just 
the things that people do and claim it to be religious freedom, you know, or way of life. That's the part that gets me. Right. It's all, well, it's all they've ever known. And it's like, I just, it's just, it's truly unbelievable. Yeah. And it's very, very sad. And, you know, there definitely are uh, some avenues that if you are in that type of situation and you're looking to get out, there are outside sources. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I'm sure that there are, you know, other, other things that you can do, you know, to escape without, you know, having to harm yourself or, you know, something else. But to maybe cheer it up a little bit, uh, there we have a lot of exciting things. This season's uh, gonna be great. This upcoming season, got a lot of good stuff coming your way. Lots of fun. And exciting interviews. Well, at least we're very excited. So, yes. And some special guests will be appearing as we bring you guys in to the year 2021. And it's the age of Aquarius. Um, so, Aquarius. <laughs> And I just want to say thank you for sticking with us. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode. And, you know, I hope you could handle the truth. This one was definitely one of the harder truths that we have. Yes, but we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. And please, everybody, give us your feedback. All right. We got a $50 Amazon card that we're trying to give away. And we want to hear your opinions. Like, tell us. Tell us like it is. Because we want to make this as, as good. Awake, Mara? Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like Mara's hey, been now. sleeping. I'm awake. No, she said she's awake. Do you, you have some medibles or something? Oh, yeah. I like, I, I had like a whole lollipop today. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I smell some too. Nice. Mari, you sound fucking. You're right. Mari, like... Mari's the one that's fucking OD on Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> With that being uh, said. <laughs> just kidding. We, we don't recommend that. It's not a good time. It's not. Like anything totally we cool. would we do ex- do expect <laughs> anybody to do. Did you just shit yourself? Yeah, I <laughs> This message brought to you by Depends. Yeah, by flatulence. <laughs> some- Have a happy new year. Woo! Don't shit your pants. <laughs>